Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We also broadcast our uh, show to the masses worldwide at RadioNorthland.org. And that is also the place where you can check out past episodes like this one uh, after it is completed and had its run this week. You can check it out, RadioNorthland.org. And also you can check us out live through uh, the TuneIn app. That's a free app. That's uh, always nice in this day and age where everything is getting, you're getting charged for any old thing. It's nice to have a few of those free things around. Hi, Glenn Broggett here, back in the saddle again here in the month of July. And uh, yeah, on the day of this recording, some nice weather up here in northwestern Minnesota, and I'm just ready to talk some classic wrestling, some wrestling memories. And I have to introduce, of course, my co-host. He's down there deep in the heart of Texas, down there in that mobile studio of his. And uh, from what I've been hearing in our uh, pre-phone call, uh, weather isn't so extreme as far as the heat at the moment, but it's great to have him back and ready to roll. The grizzled vet, Mike McCurdy. Mike, my friend, welcome to Wrestling Memories. You ready for some more Wrestling Memories then and now? Oh, of course, man. I'm always ready for uh, Wrestling Memories. And like you said, it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of comfortable. After we're done recording today's guest or whatever, I'm going to be hitting the pool with the kids. So, you know, a little relaxing time after we uh, do another great show. But, man, you kind of need to relax a little bit yourself, you know, because you people may not realize this you just got back from vegas yes uh, i'm hoping you still got some money in your pocket yes i actually uh was able to leave that town with uh, something in my pocket and uh and some good experiences uh yeah god great great week out there weather was fine it, you know that's that dry heat you know when it gets up to 100 102 it's not so bad so we had a good time out there went and saw some shows you know when you're out there gotta go take place and see some shows i actually uh w- went up on the casino i won a whopping 27 dollars so uh yeah i i'm not no anybody i, I haven't put my will that into my will just yet so i actually won something for a change uh but yeah overall mike it was really cool but yeah getting back into the swing of things here uh it's been a week since i've been uh, back from vacation and uh it's it, just kind of getting my feet back and back into work and all that stuff man when, after you've been in vegas where you had all this action and you come back to the quiet of northwestern minnesota so it's a bit jarring initially yeah the only time i ever go out to vegas is for the uh, cauliflower alley club reunion Unfortunately, I haven't been out there for the last few years since I moved to Texas, but yeah, and I don't know about that 102, it's not that bad. 102 degrees, 102 degrees, it's just freaking hot. It's, it's the desert, that's why I'm in Vegas, I always stay where the air conditioning is. Okay, well, yeah, I spent a good portion in the. I spent a good portion of that indoors, but I when when it came come time to go out and walk around, I mean, I wasn't out, you know, all day being a fool about it and getting myself, you know, scorched a, a brilliant shade of red. No, it wasn't like that. I mean, you definitely stick and move when you're out there. Keep hydrated. Go in. Go out. Get that. Air, you know, take advantage of the air conditioning when you can. But I can handle it. I mean, I'm up here right now in 75 degree weather, so this was nothing. Oh, there you go, man. And you got to see Aerosmith, man. So that's got to be one. That's one of those bucket list items. Oh, I yeah. would love to see Aerosmith myself. Yeah, that was a great, great Vegas show. And, uh, man, you know, maybe, of course, they're going to be back. So you never know, man. Never say never. Of course, their 50th tour, anniversary tour, they're going to be back on the road. Say, Mike, you know, we've been talking about everything but wrestling. You know, what's what's the deal with us? We, we have a yeah. wonderful guest waiting on the line. And, Mike, this was one of the guests that we first got acquainted with uh, a short time ago uh, when you were down in Wichita Falls. So uh, paint a little bit of a backstory before we introduce our guest. Well, yeah, like you said, um, we interviewed her for a few minutes um, during our Hall of Fame episode where I was walking around trying to get an interview with anybody and everybody that would sit down and talk with me. And she was one of the ones that was gracious enough to, uh, you know, accept our invitation to come onto the show where we can actually sit down and have an in-depth conversation with her. 
she, oh. I've actually met her before, though, you know, in CAC in Vegas. That's where I first met her a year ago. Her and, uh, I met her and Duke Myers. Oh. I had the opportunity to sit down with her and Duke Myers in the lobby of uh, one of the, at the hotel one day, and I, I got to hear a few stories. Now, oh. granted, this is a Sunday morning, afternoon, and noon crowd right after church, so I don't know if we can share some of the stories that her and Duke were telling me, but, uh, you know, she might, she might have a few, uh, you know, family-friendly stories to share with us as well. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't just, you know, she was down in Wichita Falls, uh, not only to be taking part in the festivities, but also uh, she was one of the, uh, the key inductees for, for a pretty uh, stacked class here for 2019. That's right. That's right. She was inducted into the uh, 2019 Hall of Fame class at the uh, you know Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. That's why she was out there and a great lady. I'm going to say that right off the bat. She's listening to this right now. You know, she's a great lady. This is going to be a great interview. I've I've did a little research, got a little bit background on her. You know, did not realize this little little fun fact, but you know, her birthday and my wedding anniversary happened to be the same day. Oh, I did not realize that until I read this in her bio yesterday. So just one of many fascinating, one of many fascinating things, especially when it comes to her career. I mean, you're reading about not only uh, working in the pro wrestling business, her persistence to get into the business. I mean, this is just amazing and getting into the business, kicking butt and also working on the other side of it in the promotional side. I mean, there's so many things that she's accomplished in her career, but the best way to get to, uh, to find out about this information is actually welcoming her to the program. She's been sitting there patiently waiting for us to give her her proper due. Oh, yes. Oh, it's such a great honor to welcome back the hammer, Beverly Shade, to Rasslin' Memories then and now. Welcome, Beverly. Thank you very much. I'm just enjoy sitting here listening to you two right back and forth. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope uh, you know the, the listeners are you know they're very patient with us. They like they, they they enjoy some of our banter, but you know what? They love hearing from our guests. And wow, it, I mean, a recent inductee into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita Falls, Texas. Now, when did you find out that you were going to be inducted into the class? And uh, what was your reaction? I mean, to find out. I mean, this was a pretty like I said, a pretty prestigious uh, stack class for 2019 and you were uh, definitely uh, uh, equal to uh, the, well, it, the competition. It certainly was. I, um, Johnny Mantell sent me a letter. Um, I think it was probably the end of November of 2018 and told me I was being inducted and that I needed to go to a country western store and find out what size cowboy hat I wore. I thought, why? <laughs> then I found out they give, when you're inducted, they give you a professional wrestling a Hall of Fame ring, and they give you a cowboy hat with your your name and your induction year and all in it. So I took off to the cowboy store to find out what size hat I wore, and I was so honored and so so proud to be inducted with the people that are on that Hall of Fame, because there's um, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and George Animal Steel and all the women Moolah, Lilani um, Kai. There's just so many. You know, great wrestlers, male and female. So it was an honor for me. Yeah, and you know, and and it's a great thing that, that, that you know there is an actual Hall of Fame to it as well, an actual brick and mortar building where they can brick see some mortar, of your yeah. stuff. Because you know, you hear about the WWE has this ceremony every year, and just basically for television. But you actually right. had a chance to have your stuff there. So I mean, it's not only a big honor, but it's also something where you can leave a part of your legacy. Yeah, they. Uh, I, well, I sent my. Uh, my cape and my boots and uh, I think uh, some photographs of some of my wrestling license that I had to have over the years from different states and uh, one of my pictures and all. And it had it, been out there for, I guess, three years. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they, they love to have the uh, 
you know, the gear from the different wrestlers, whether you're in the Hall of Fame or not. Because it's stuff, you know, of, of the legends that lives on and on and on. So I, I was honored to, to be asked to send my stuff, and I thought, well, I might as well send it there. At least somebody will get to look at it if I leave it at home and something happens to me, it'll be in the yard sale the next day, so... Oh, absolutely. It gets in the right hands and, and it gets its yeah. proper respect. That is such a, a big thing. I mean, again, if it was just in the hands of the misguided, again, again, you'd find it at the Roman show, which would just be a terrible crime in and of itself. But getting your let's talk about the, the ceremony in the weekend itself. Uh, what were some of the highlights for you when you were down there and stuff to enjoy? I mean, the, the commiserating and all that stuff with uh, some of the guys and gals down there. Yeah, well, getting to see. Um well, I, I had Brandy Rose got inducted from the Midnight Express, and I, I knew him because when we promoted in Florida, he wrestled, he worked for us, you know, quite a bit. Him and uh, Ox Baker and uh, Luke Graham and and different ones. So I had I knew knew Randy, but I got to meet uh, Ronnie Garvin, which was an honor because I had watched him over the years. I never got to work on a card with him, but I knew who he was, and I knew what a good worker he was, so I was really honored to get to meet him. And then I got to meet Abdullah the Butcher. So it was, you know, and then seeing some of the old, old-timers that, I'd, that I already knew that were there. So but it, it, it was a fun time, and we had, uh, they kind of get together like on Thursday and, and uh, you know, just meet and greet and stuff like that. And then on Friday... They have their, their big wrestling show that they have Friday evening out, outdoors under the stars. And Mike can tell you about that. That was really a good show. And then on Saturday, they have the meet and greet where the fans come in and, and uh, you sell your pictures and stuff. And I sold pictures. And Lisa Hayes, Haynes had made a book about my southern things because she laughs every time I come up with something she never heard before. So she made a real nice book. <clears throat> excuse me for me and we put that up for sale and some of the pictures and stuff and then all the money that we got for that we gave to the hall of fame oh that is very cool you know what you, you brought up mike you know i'm going to bring in mike into the early into the conversation so we can start uh asking a few questions uh to, to you uh beverly uh mike uh are you ready to go my friend oh yeah of course man you know and i would like to also thank the you know maybe one of the highlights for beverly the hall of fame weekend was you know the chance to actually sit down with me and get a be on our hall of fame show. I mean, you know, she was a very gracious guest, but you know, I'm, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything, but <laughs> I go ahead. We don't mind. All right. Well, Beverly, I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, yes, your hall of fame, but I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, your career in the ring because you were back, you know, and when you say old school, you say the classic wrestling, it was definitely, you know, you were the old school territory. You were wrestling with the women, the likes of, you know, Moolah, Mae Young, and Judy Grip, just such amazing names where women's wrestling was, you know, at that point in time was also considered like an attraction. The women's matches were like an attraction on the card, but there were some tough women. There were some tough women wrestling back then, not like what we have now. We have some quality wrestlers now, but the style was a little bit different. So let's talk about your career a little bit, just kind of you know, being on the road and traveling and, you know, who you got a chance to work with and just some of the memories that you remember from, you know, such an amazing career. Well, when I started, I started in 1957. I lived in Alton, Illinois, and I used to go to the wrestling matches on Friday night at Keel Auditorium in St. Louis, which was just across the river. And uh, I loved wrestling, but I had never seen women wrestle. I had never seen anything but the men. And I was watching TV, I think, I don't remember if it was on a Saturday or what, 
But I saw June Byers and another, and I thought, well, I can do that. <laughs> My mother looked at me and said, sure. But I was a tomboy growing up. I played basketball in, in school, grammar school and high school. And the neighborhood where I lived had more boys than girls, so I played baseball and football with the, with the boys and all and my brother. And he'd get himself in trouble, and I'd have to go fight for him. So I just knew I could do it. Well, I'd pestered Tim Mustick to death. I like to drive that poor man crazy. And um, it was me and another girlfriend of mine, and he was going to send us to um, Billy Wolf. And I don't know what happened, but anyway, he ended up calling me and wanting to know if I could go to Tampa, Florida. Well, I, at that time, I'd never heard of Tampa, Florida. But we got on the bus, and off we went to Tampa, Florida. We didn't know anything. I knew how to take a flying mare. It was the only thing I knew how to do, and that was because one of the referees lived in Alton, and he was he showed us how to take a flying mare. So they sent us to Tampa, and we got down there, and they booked me in one show, and the girl that was with me booked her in another show. We knew nothing. We knew beans from apple butter about wrestling. They put me in the ring with Ella Waldeck. You know who that is? Judy yes. Glover, Corinne Cadero, and I can't remember the other lady, but there was five of us. And they had what they call a five-girl wrestle royal. They'd pin one girl, she'd be out for the night, and then the next two that were left in there would come back for a single match, and then the last two would come back for a single match. Well, Ella Ball picked me up and body slammed me. Never been slammed in my life. And I'm, they all piled on top of me, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to lay here and let these girls pin me. And I come out from under all four of them. And Ella grabbed me by the hair of the head, picked me up, and went to body slam me again. And as she had me upside down, she said, I bet by God you stay down this time. Honey, she slammed me through that mat. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. So I got back to the dressing room, and about 15, 20 minutes later, Cowboy Lucker come in and said, do you still want to learn how to wrestle? Well, I would have done it then or died. So they had the ring set up at Fort Hesterly Armory in Tampa, because that's where they always had their big shows in Tampa on Monday night. And she took me and the girl that came with me and two other girls, and we worked out for two and a half hours every afternoon and then got in the car and went and wrestled. So that's how I learned. Now, you know, you mentioned Billy Wolf and, uh, with Carol Carol, and you said you hadn't seen uh, a lot of women's wrestling. You'd only seen the men wrestle. This point in time, the women's wrestling is still an attraction. You know, you're yeah, like a featured was, match on the card. It wasn't like, a mainstay. Like yeah, like having the midgets. You know, they were a feature, and that's the same way the girls were. The girls were like, they were referred to as like wrestling troops. There was groups of girls that worked together in different areas. Like I know Mula had a group of girls that worked with her. And is there anything to that? You know, were you part of that? Was like the certain group that no. worked in certain areas or? No. When, when I started, Mula didn't have her group of girls when I first started. I think she was like a year or so after that she got her, her group of girls together. And if you didn't, if you didn't work for Mula, with her group of girls, um, you didn't work North Carolina for the Crockett's, or you didn't work New York for um, the WWF. Or then it was the WWF. You didn't work for them, and there was a couple other places. If you didn't work for Moolah, you didn't work. But other promoters like Sam Mushnick uh, in St. Louis, um, out in Texas, Cowboy Luttrell, they they used. The independent girls. You didn't have to be one of Moolah's girls to get to work. So, and Nick Goodless, the Tennessee Territory. So, but she she got to the point, especially later on, 
that it was hard for independent girls to get booked if you didn't work for her. Now, is that um, part of the reason why the ladies' matches weren't as common, or is it just still because of the fact that it was more an attraction in what was at that point a man's, basically considered was, a man's sport? It was still because the girls were more of an attraction. It was a man's world, and they were an attraction. And if you were a promoter and you had girls booked on the card and something happened, you're, you're, you were screwed. Because if a guy doesn't show up, you can replace him with another guy. But if you've got a girl that don't show up, your whole show is shot. So a lot of the girls that wouldn't show up got uh, you know got reputations for, for not showing up. So they, they had harder times getting booked. So that made it. Now, who were some of the names you got? Yeah. Who were some of the the women that you got a chance to wrestle with? You mentioned Ella Waldeck, but who are some of the other names that you know listeners might know of that that stand out? There were some of the ones that you got to compete with. Well, let's see. I worked uh, <clears throat> with Mars Bennett. I worked with uh, June Byers. I worked with, and when I started, she was a champion. She was a world women champion. I worked with Betty Clark. I worked with Teresa Thighs. I worked with Mae Young. And later on, I worked with, with Moolah. In about, I guess it was 1979, Moolah needed some girls to go to Japan. And she called me and asked me, and she called me and Natasha and Tracy Richards, who Tracy was my tag team partner for the Arm and Hammer Connection, and uh, Princess Jasmine. We all went to Japan for her. But, um, then we came back from there. She called me, and I went to Thailand for her, or with her. And then in 1980, she called me for a three-week tour in New York as her tag team partner. So I worked with her, and then we were promoting in Florida. If we needed um, a girl or something, I could call Moolah, and she would send down, like, Judy Martin or, um, not Lelani, I'm trying to, went on a little heart. And she was training guys at that time. And she would send some of her guys down to get the experience, you know, in, uh, wrestling in front of a crowd. And she would come down and wrestle and bring two or three of her girls. So I worked with her back from, say, 79 up to the mid-'80s uh, with doing TV and promoting shows. And I worked with her, but I never worked for her. That Recently, there's been a – it was a special Dark Side of the Ring. They do these different stories. One of the, one of the stories was on the fabulous Moolah, and unfortunately there's been some – you know, new stories that have kind of come to light, whether or not there's actually any factual base behind them. You know, it's kind of a divided line. But how was Moolah for you working with her? How was, you know, because she is a legend in, in wrestling. Well, um, when when all that came out, when they were going to have that big show at WrestleMania and they were having the, the women's thing for Moolah and then it got canceled, I think Snickers canceled it because of all the gossip going around that she was pimping out the girls and, and stuff like that. I never saw any of that. In fact, uh, year before last at the Cauliflower Alley Club, we had a, a seminar on that with me and Despina Montegas and Judy Martin and Joyce Grable and uh, one of the other girls. can't remember who it was now. But anyway, um, we had a, a seminar on that, and they all told their little stories, and I told mine. I can't say anything bad about her. Because I don't know, I didn't work for her. I didn't live in those apartments that she had for the girls that worked for her. So I, I can't say that any of it's true, and I can't say it's not true because I don't know. But I know how she treated me. She always treated me with respect, and we always treated her with respect. So the other the stories that are going around, I can't say, you know, you can't say something about something you don't know anything about. 
I heard a lot of that stuff, and I'm, even some of her girls told me how they got cheated out of their money. Well, um, Judy told it at the seminar we had that Vince used to always send their checks to Moolah, and then Moolah would pay them. Well, they found out later, she told Vince to send her her checks from now on, and she was getting twice as much money as the checks that, that Lillian was giving her. So she said they were got, they got cheated out of their money. Well, that could very well be. I didn't see it. It wasn't my money, so I don't know. But that's what she told. Now, when you were working on the road, what was it like, you know, working the, the, the shows back then and all that? Because, you know, like you said, it's an, you're still in traction. It's basically a man's sport. What was it like at that time to be you know, a woman wrestler and working on the road and traveling and all that, just, you know, doing, doing what the men did, but not yep. getting the, as much of the attention as they did. You know, well, what's funny, you were talking about the other girls, you know, the girls now, like the ones that work for the WWE and all. If they had to do what we had to do, they wouldn't last a week. You get on the road and you, you drive. You know, you didn't fly back when I was wrestling. The only time you flew is if you went out of the country. You didn't, you didn't fly from town to town like these girls are doing now. They work for the WWE. Uh, you got in a car, you worked a territory. Like we worked in Florida for five, six months, and then Cowboy would send a bunch of the girls to, to Tennessee for Nick Goulas, and you'd work there for two or three months. Then he'd send you some, some other territory, and you'd work two or three months. But you drove to all these places, and a lot of times we rode with the guys going from, well, say we were in Nashville for Goulas. So your headquarters would be in Nashville, and you would wrestle in Evansville, Indiana, or Birmingham, Alabama, or Jackson, Tennessee, or, you know, different places like that. And you drove to all these towns. And most of the time, you'd have one or two guys that liked to do the driving because they collect trance. You'd pay so much a mile trance. So they'd be a couple of girls in with, with three or four guys. And you'd travel from, say, from Nashville to Birmingham. And, and and back, but every show, that's how you did it. You didn't fly anywhere. You just got stuck in one territory, and you drove your butt off. You were traveling the same roads as, you're saying, you know, you're traveling the same roads as the men were, but it was, a, 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 you were an attraction match. It was really one match on the card right, uh, at right. the time. So, But other than that, you were basically still living the life that, you know, the male wrestlers did, being on the road and traveling and, you know, a lot of the other stories that, you know, we hear of the of the territory days. Right, right. Well, the girls did the same thing as the guys did. And you you go, I can remember one time in Nashville working for Nick Goulas, and we were, we wrestled in um, Jackson, Tennessee, and uh, Jackie Fargo was we were, was in the car. There was four or five of us in the car. And uh, anyway, we got back, and we go in the end of the week in the office to get your paycheck. And uh, so got, we got our paychecks, and they give you a list of each town you was in and how much you made, you know, at each town. So I was looking at, and I looked at Jackson, Tennessee. We drove all the way from Nashville to Jacksonville, Tennessee, Jackson, Tennessee, and back, and made fifteen dollars, and owed six of it for trance. The guys, the guys, always got more than the girls. The guys would make thirty, so, we'd make fifteen. If you were a top ahead. guy, of course you got a you got a guarantee. Most of them, you know, but the girls didn't get guarantees. You got guaranteed you'd work, and that was it. So when did women's wrestling basically kind of turn the corner? and become, you know, more, not the attraction, but kind of like the norm? When did it become more accepted where the women were just as common on the card? Well, pretty much every card. I, I, think, it, I think it really started in the early 80s, the late 70s and early 80s. It's when it, when it started to be in, uh, 
it was uh, the norm, so to speak, to have the girls on the card. They weren't just an attraction. And the promoters, um, the you know, the guys got when on the cards when they wrestled, they got programmed, you know, so they'd do something that they'd bring, do something so they'd have a reason to bring them back next week. Well, they started doing the same thing with the girls. You know, they'd get little, little things going between a couple of girls or something, and so you'd have a reason to bring the girls back again next week. And I think that started in the late 70s, early 80s. All right, well, I got one more question before I pass it over to Glenn. Um, recently, a few months back, actually, we had Short Sleeve Samson on as a, as a guest on the show. I don't know if you ever met him, but I, he I talked about. I saw him a couple of times at CAC, but I've never met him. You know, he talked about is midget wrestling and all that, and it being the attraction on the card and all that. But that a lot of the times when they were doing their matches, the fans weren't basically giving them the respect that they were giving the other matches because they were an attraction. People weren't interested and they would just kind of, eh, and they kind of got the feeling and they were treated a little bit differently. Did you see that with, uh, when you were first starting that the women weren't looked at or respected as much in their matches as the men were by the audience that were there to watch? A little, not a lot, not as much as, I don't think as much as they did the midgets, the, the little people. I don't think they, they, they kind of, like I say, it's a special attraction. They kind of gawked at us a little bit. But as time went on, it seemed to get better. But I know how the little people were. I worked with them quite a bit up in Canada when I used to go up in the summertime for the Bear Man. And he always had the, the little people on the card. And But they expected, I don't know why, but they always seemed to expect that with the little people that it, should, it, was, it was fun. You know, it wasn't really a wrestling match. So. They were basically considered it was a comedy match. Because they do the spot yeah, where they'd yeah. step on the referee, the referee catch them and throw them back yeah. on there. Exactly. And I, I worked right, well, on okay. a couple of uh, mixed matches with uh, like two girls, like me and, a, and one male midget against another girl and a male midget. And, and you ended up making a comedy routine out of it because we'd end up sometimes with the midgets on our shoulders and they'd chicken fight sitting on the girls' shoulders, you know. So it was... It was like you say. It was more like a comedy thing than it was. Uh, yet they they were they were great workers. Well, exactly. There was a lot of you know a lot of those men are very talented wrestlers and ended up training, you know, guys later on that you know went on to have big careers. I just don't think people yeah. realize the uh, they didn't quite get the the spotlight on them as much as the women did as the years went on. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's a, and it's a shame. All right, Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone back over to you for uh, the next round of questions. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Mike. You're listening to Wrestling Memories then and now with the hammer, Beverly Shade. And Beverly, you, you mentioned a little bit about Nick Goulis. Now, you had a chance to work with him in the Memphis uh, Territory. What was what was the man? I want, I want some memories of, of, of dealing with uh, Nick Goulis. I mean, you talked a little bit about the Territory, but what was it like to deal with Nick? Because he has his own sort of infamy among some of the boys in regards to payouts and the like. But what was your memories of Nick Goulis to promote? motor honey he was so cheap he squeaked when he walked <laughs> he, he he was a character i'll tell i'll tell you a good one um and the bunch of me sitting here not remember the guy's name and he just les thornton remember les thornton a junior heavyweight champion yes of the sir world? yes yes i do and, and les just passed away a few months ago i think it was natasha and i were up there of course this this was not not too many too many years ago but anyway, we were, we went in to get our paycheck, and Les was there to, getting his paycheck. He'd been brought in, you know, as a top guy, 
with his uh, junior heavyweight championship built up, you know, and all. And so they were really building him up. And uh, so we walked in, and Nick uh, Les was in the office with Nick, and we talked, we excused ourselves and said, we can go. And Nick said, that's okay. You, I'm, He's just here to get his check. He'll be leaving. Well, he handed him his envelope, and Les opened the envelope and took took his thing out, his, his list of, of matches, you know, what he got paid at each town and everything. And he looked at it, and he turned around, and he looked back at Nick, and he said, this is my pay. And Nick said, yeah. And he said, are you sure this is my pay? And Nick said, yeah. He said, and pardon my English, he said, I'd rather have your damn nose full of nickels than this. Because <laughs> Nick, had, Nick had that big Greek nose, you know. Uh-huh. He said, I'd rather have your damn nose full of nickels than this paycheck. So we stepped out because they really got into it. Because he was supposed to be on a guarantee, and he was, I don't know if he was trying to cheat him or what, but I stood out there in the hallway and just laughed my butt off. <laughs> I'd rather have your nose full of nickels than this paycheck. <laughs> that is so, so funny. And, uh, yeah, with with Nick, though, I mean, in a few years in the 70s there, it, it kind of got to be a little sad. You know, I kind of felt bad when I'm reading this history about his son, how he got pushed and got into wrestling, and they tried to, he tried to make him a little bit more than what he was, uh, George. Yeah. And George George was very nice, very nice young man. But honey, George had about as much business wrestling as my neighbor over here. He he didn't want to do it. So it felt and, really, and Nick, really just put upon him then. Yeah, Nick Nick pushed him into it. He didn't want. He didn't even look like a wrestler. And Nick, and George did not no more want to do this than nothing. Because when I started back wrestling, because I quit for a while, and then when I met Billy in '68, I started back, and then. Uh, Billy, my husband never quit his job to, to promote wrestling or go wrestling or anything. He always kept his job. We got transferred from Tampa to Birmingham, Alabama, and this was in 76, 77. And um, I called Nick and told him that I was in Birmingham and that Tracy and I were, were working. If he needed girls, you know, could give me a call. Well, he had uh, Sylvia Hackney was working for him then and, and a couple other girls. So I was getting a call about twice a week to go work a show like in Coleman, Alabama or Nashville or someplace like that. And uh, But he, he had gotten to the point, that's when, uh, I guess when he started pushing George. And George just flat did not want to do it at all. And I, I, felt, I felt bad for him because he'd sit in the dressing room and said, why am I here? And one of the guys popped up and said, because your daddy wants you here, that's why you're here. <laughs> but everybody treated him good, and, and and he was he was a nice kid. It's just a shame that he got pushed into doing something he really didn't want to do. Yeah, that does sound really truly unfortunate. I I got to ask about you mentioned a little bit. Uh, you kind of just touched on it real briefly about working up in Canada, up in Ontario, and during the summers in the early seventies. Could you talk about what what that experience was like while working uh, for the promotion up there? I went. Uh, well, I'm sure you've heard of, of Dave McKigney, the Bear Man. Yep, yep. Promoted Ontario. I went up. The summer of 70, because he, he usually ran from like April until end of August, 1st of September, because they used the arenas. Of course, they started putting the ice back in the arenas in September for hockey, so he, he had to go other places. But I went up in the summer of 1970, 71, and 72. I went up every summer for him. And I think I had the best time I've ever had anywhere I went. Some of the nicest guys worked with the... Johnny Valiant, Angelo Mosco, Eric the Red, Stan Skowalski, I'm trying, Tony Parisi, just so many of the guys, and they were all so nice. Well, if you've been to Ontario, you know in the summertime, that's the most beautiful place in the world. The weather's great, 
and the people were really, really nice. I looked forward to going up there every summer, but I went three summers in a row for Dave. I had to, we had to train his daughter because one of the girls that I was wrestling had uh, had to leave, and we didn't have a girl for me to wrestle. So we took it. He had a ring up. We took his daughter and put her in the ring, and showed her a couple bumps. So we worked mixed tag matches with her and her dad against me and uh, Willie Farkas. Um, for about a week until Alma Mills came in from uh, from Boston, and uh, then Rachel started started working, so we started working t- tag matches. So that's how Rachel Dubois got started. Huh, no kidding. Well, I want to talk a little bit now about uh, well, I, uh, your your professional life, wrestling career uh, got into your personal life here, uh, and you ended up uh, finding love uh, uh, in the world of pro wrestling. Could you talk about? Uh, how you met up with the man who became your husband, and uh, and you ended up kind of working with him. When did you first uh, cross paths with uh, the man Billy uh, Blue River? I, I went to Joel. I was on I was on a date. I was single. I was on a date, and I went to. Uh, he took me to Joyland Country Music Center over in St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, to me was going to meet one of his friends and his girlfriend, and it was a country. They had a country music band and everything, so we went over for that. And when you walked in the door, there was a a poster up there that said, we have wrestling every other Monday night. And I thought, well, that's unusual. And I had I had I wasn't wrestling anymore. I had stopped about 62, 63, 62, I guess it was. I hadn't wrestled. And this was 1968. So we, we went in and we sat down. We ordered a drink and we were sitting there talking. So I asked the waitress, the guy I was with, he said, Beverly, you used to wrestle, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, wonder who's doing this? And I said, I don't know. So the waitress came over and I asked her, I said, who's the promoter for the wrestling here? And she pointed at Billy. He was standing up at the bar. And she said, that gentleman up there. So the guy I was with told me, he said, if you go get yourself booked. I said, I don't want to get booked. I don't even have any boots or anything. He said, you get yourself booked, I'll buy you a pair of boots. (laughs) So I just walked up to him and told him who I was and introduced myself, and he said, do you know Kay Fabe? And I said, yes, I do. And uh, so we got to talking, and I told him I used to work. Well, I gave him my phone number and had no more intentions of wrestling than donkeys could fly. And the next day, I get a phone call from him. And he called me and wanted to meet me for lunch, and I told him while I was at work. So he came where I was working, went to lunch, and he started talking to me. He started calling me every day. So I told him I'd wrestle. I'd wrestle for him. So I uh, worked out a little bit and then went went to work the first show with Joyland. And I've been stuck with him ever since. He, <laughs> he never left. <laughs> and you guys uh, later parlayed and worked together not only in the ring, but you also, uh, I mean, we're going to move the story up a little bit just due, due to time constraints. And we're all, you're always welcome to come back on any time, but we're going to keep uh, the conversation and kind of fast forward uh, into into uh, the time that you guys got together and decided you wanted to get into the promotional side of pro wrestling and also promoting down in Florida. Now, being a non-NWA company, uh, that, w- that had to have been an uphill struggle. Talk about how you guys got involved with the promotion end of, of pro wrestling and, uh, and some of the things that it led to uh, while you guys were down in the Sunshine State. I had been in Tampa since 1958, and he had been in Tampa. His family moved there since, since in 58. And that show that they were promoting in Joyland over in St. Petersburg, it was him and a couple other guys that were running what they, back then they called it outlaw wrestling because you were running against the office. 
Well, Cowboy wasn't running out. Well, he was, but Eddie Graham was in the process of taking the office away from Cowboy. Cowboy ended up in the nursing home, and Eddie Graham got the office. And uh, so we we were promoting. We had some we had some good workers. Kevin Sullivan started for us. His first show, he got sent down uh, to us from Boston, and he worked a couple shows from us. And then they got they could talk him into going to work for the office. But we got threatened. They were going to shoot us, and they were going to do this, and they were going to do that. We didn't close up. And I said, well, we must be doing pretty darn good because you keep stealing our guys, you know. So then we um, we started promoting more towns, and, of course, that made Eddie Graham even madder. And uh, we and we ended up doing getting TV. We started in 83, 84, getting TV in Jacksonville, Florida. And then we got a backer, <coughs> and... Um, in 84 and 85, and that's when we started doing TV for ABC, and that's when we got wrestlers in like Randy Rose and Doug Summers and Luke Graham, and and on our first TV, we had Dr. Jerry Graham and Angelo Poffa and Lanny Poffo, so we, we got some good workers, and it was it was rough, as you say, bucking the competition when we were bucking the main office. You not only had to deal with Eddie Graham, but you also had, you know, guys in Eddie's office as well. I mean, uh, oh, they used to, honey, they would every, every, every other Monday night when we ran Joyland, Don Curtis, Bob Roop <coughs> would come over and get in the ring, get up in our ring and threaten, uh, challenge our wrestlers. Good Lord. So I would, I would just have the wrestler, I would just have the, the police escort them out the door. Cause we had our security police and I'd just have them escort them out the door. And after... The office closed down in Tampa and everything. Um, Don Curtis would run, run a few shows up in Jacksonville, and he called Billy, and Billy went up and worked for him. And um, Don, and plus, since then, Bob Roof and I have become good friends. And Bob Bob and Don both told both of us, we didn't want to come over there. We didn't want to come over there and, and challenge your guys or anything like that. He said, but we had to to keep working, because if we didn't do it, he wouldn't. we wouldn't work. So... That was the way. That was the way they went, and of course, eventually the Tampa office went under. And I know Bob Roop and some of the guys tried to keep it going after Eddie uh, killed himself, but I think they all went in debt to their eyeballs trying to keep it going, and it didn't make it. But and it's a shame because everybody could have worked together, but you know how that goes. They they're stingy and they want it all. Yeah, that 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 that, that often is the case in pro wrestling when you hear about any yeah. sort of cooperation or attempts at cooperation. There's always somebody that wants to, uh, you know, get up on or get over, whether it's financially or be the main guy in the ring, or right. he doesn't want his guys right. to win or lose. So, yeah, there's just so much politics. And I just was thinking, I mean, you were a non-NWA, you were an outlaw territory. I mean, you had Eddie, you were battling Eddie Graham. Were there times when, like, the NWA, because there were stories through the years when the NWA would kind of stomp out an outlaw, uh, you know, troop by bringing in as many big stars as they possibly could front load their shows. Did you ever have to deal with any sort of that front loading situation that some of the other territories no, no, had to go he, through? No, he he never he he never did anything like that. Okay. He never he didn't. He just ran his regular shows. Okay. And and he loved he loved threatening us. I know. I got a call one night uh, about ten eleven o'clock at night from Eddie, telling me that uh, I was going to find Billy in a ditch with his throat cut. One day, if, I didn't, if we didn't stop promoting, and I said, well, I'll tell you what you do. <clears throat> I said, you go ahead, and when I find him in a ditch with his throat cut, I will come down on Albany Street where the Sportatorium is. That's where they did all their TV stuff at the Sportatorium. 
I said, I will come down there, and I said, I'll blow that supporter tour and clear out of the state of Florida and hope you're in it when it goes, and I'll stand there and wait for the cops to come and arrest me. So you just go ahead and slit his throat and throw him in the ditch. Honey, I never, we never heard another threat from him after that. Now, Not one threat. Did you know much about, you know, because Eddie, of course, uh, you know, he, you know, he died here uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, 1985. Did you hear any rumblings about his mental state or where he was at? Or did you hear any sort of things that would ever lead to any sort of end like what happened with him? Did you ever hear anything? No, no. Um, In fact, one of the guys that wrestled for us was on the uh, the fire department. And he was one of the first ones there when the night or the day that Eddie killed himself. He was one of the first ones there at the... when they called, you know, for 911. And uh, he told us, he said, nobody, he said, even his wife, he said, nobody suspected it. But he, he was uh, he was doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that wasn't right, from what I was told. I never, they never got into any details or anything. But, and then, and what was so sad about it is he turned right around and his son did, does the same thing, Michael. And I think he even had a grandson that actually did it as well. So yeah. we had three generations yeah. of that. I mean, good lord! And I know. Um, I don't think I don't think Mike was there at the at the uh, Hall of Fame two years ago in Texas when they inducted Eddie Graham. None of his family would. None of his family would come. Just such a such a dark cloud that is hung over ever. It's you such know, a dark cloud. They didn't want anything to do with the wrestling. And guess who they got? To, guess who they called up to induct him in the Hall of Fame? Me. So what did you think when they offered uh, the, that that chance to to put him in? What what, what were your thoughts? Uh, you know, like they they give you Bob the call Roof, to do it. Bob Roof, Bob Roof was sitting out in the out in the in the audience, of course, and he said, "I he said I was holding my breath because I didn't know what you were going to do." And I got up very politely and very kindly. I got up and I said, "I'm sorry." I said, I'm, "Well, first thing I said when I got up was I said I know you people are wondering what the hell I'm doing up here,' <laughs> you know? but I said." Uh, it doesn't seem like that anybody else cared about him. And I said, I didn't like him. And I didn't go into any details why. I said, I didn't like him. He didn't like me. But he was a good worker, and he was a good promoter. And I said, welcome to the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. And said, am. Bob Roop said, you should have gotten an Academy Award for that one. You know, you think about it. How ironic is that? That we fought him for years, and I'm the one that got up and inducted him in the Hall of Fame because nobody else would. Hey, you, you were the one that. Ironic, isn't it? <laughs> I, I'm still wrapping my head around that. That is just—I mean, it's great booking because I'm thinking from the pro wrestling mind, but I'm also thinking from the uh, stepping outside of the pro wrestling thing. Like, wow, the ultimate person—the guy, the the guy you were so harassed. You and your husband were so harassed by. He tried to strong arm you. He tried to use the yeah, tough yeah. tactics. And you got to speak. Oh, he, he, he threatened Billy's mother and father. They kidnapped Billy one time coming out of the printer's office and told him if, that if he didn't stop wrestling, all the stuff they was going to do to him. Oh, they have harassed, they harassed the hell out of us. But I said, what goes around comes around because look, look what happened. Look who inducted him into the Hall of Fame because nobody else would. Absolutely. The one person that he hated. <laughs> and I loved it. Well, you know, I'm going to bring Mike back in for the final leg of the show here. It's been so much fun chatting with you. we got to have you back on. But I, I'm going to let Mike ask the last few questions here for you. But, oh, it's been a pleasure chatting okay, with sweetie. you. Well, it's been my pleasure. Okay, Mike, you ready to go, my friend? Oh, we're def- oh of course, man. I agree with you. We definitely got to have uh, Beverly back on to share some more stories. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to round two. But um, I'd like to ask you a little bit, Beverly. We'll, we'll kind of zip forward to the future. You know, well, not future, present. Um, you and I touched on this a little bit during the, uh, 
during the Hall of Fame show I did. But, you know, going through this, you know, you, you wrestled in the ring, you promoted, you know, women's wrestling obviously now is a huge spotlight. There's actually, you know, there are all women promotions in Japan, America, everywhere. What is your kind of opinion on the current state of women's wrestling? Do you follow any of it? And just kind of what's, what's your opinion on it? You know, based on just, you know, your career and your time, what you went through. I watch, I don't watch the WWE very much. Um, every once in a while I'll watch it, but I notice they are trying to do better with the girls. The girls seem to be doing a little bit better. It seems more like it's more, more wrestling now than the TNA. I'm really, I'm really impressed with the the wrestling that's going on up in Canada with the girls, especially over, over in, in, uh, Western Canada with, um, people like Raven and her daughters and, and, and Malaya Hosaka. And all the, I'm I'm really impressed with that wrestling. Well, you know, you bring up you bring up Canada a little bit. Let's we'll talk about that for a couple minutes because you mentioned Raven Lake, um, very you know over in Canada. Malia was like, but you also mentioned um, Bambi Hall and her yeah. sister, who I, name is slipping my mind right now. But they both wrestled. You know, they're obviously Raven's daughters. Let's talk about them a little bit because you know our listeners and you know kind of here in the states. They may not know a lot about these girls because prim- primarily they're in Canada. I don't know of right. a lot of American tours or dates they've done. Well, you don't you don't hear in the states, or at least I don't hear. I don't hear that much about girls except WWE girls. I don't hear them, uh, you know, in the different states like like they're doing up in Canada. And I know Malaya Hosaka does a lot of wrestling up in Canada. And up in the Northwest, you know, like in Washington and, and Oregon and up in there, they're using quite a few girls. But I don't hear that much about it, you know, in the rest of the states. And, and Yeah, uh, um, I know I know Bambi and her sister Raven, they're primarily Canada. Um, as far as the states go, though, I mean, you've got a lot of the, indie, the independent girls because, you know, a lot of them are now going on into NXT and then moving on to the WWE. So, and here in Texas, there's a large amount of, you know, independent talent. Uh, and there, but that's the thing. It's all independent talent. They're kind of in this area. You know, they're in Texas. They might right. go over to you know Louisiana, maybe Oklahoma, but that seems to be part of the problem. Is they're kind of central right there. They're in their state, and they're not traveling around like you did. And that's a shame. It's really a shame that they the other promotions that they can't get in with some of the other promoters and different. I know they're running wrestling in Missouri, and they're running wrestling in Kentucky. And I think they're doing some in Tennessee. And it's a shame they can't kind of get together and share the girls, you know, like, like we used to do. Send, send some of the girls like from Texas and Tennessee for a week or two weeks. Or send, them, send them, some of the girls from Tennessee to Texas for two or three weeks. You know, where everybody could get to know them. They're doing more of the old-time wrestling than what they're doing on, on uh, WWE, which I think is great. Well, you got to see uh, one of our one of our many names uh, here in Texas. You got to see her at the Hall of Fame. She ended up being in the main event for, uh, which you were also a part of, uh, a little bit of the main event. She ended up being part of that with, uh, yes, Miranda Gordy. Yes, yes. She's actually going to be wrestling, I believe, her debut match against Machko in uh, August here in Texas. So she's now getting into the ring. That's great. I looked at her when she got in there and I thought, this this girl's going to be good if they keep working with her. 
Miranda is awesome. I love Miranda. I, I, I'm see her at shows like all the time, but do you see that maybe the problem with the current situations, like you said, they're in Knoxville and it's, it's not being sent. It's just that maybe the, the talent isn't willing to make the drives. Cause you know, there are some, I know if you, I'm not going to say they all don't. Cause a lot of my friends, they, they're on the road. One friend of mine just did a 20 hour road trip to work a, a show. But do you see that maybe they're just kind of comfortable working in this area and they don't want to, which they're just kind of hoping that, oh, hey, if I keep doing this, you know, WWE is going to notice me. That's not really the most effective way to work, though. No, no, no. Uh, well, it, it, you're right, because a, a lot of them probably feel that way, that they don't want to do all that traveling and that driving and all like we used to. But that's how you get started. You got to you got to do something. You can't sit back and wait for them to come to you. You got to go to them. You can't sit back and think, well, because my daddy had a name or or whatever, that if I keep doing this, the WWE's going to come and get me because they're not going to. Right. What you've seen of uh, on the WWE? Are there any names in particular that stand out that maybe aren't like obviously you know Charlotte Flair? We talked about her. I mean, with her lineage, obviously she should be you know kind of where she's at, but. Is there any names that kind of have stood out that you're impressed with that, you know, maybe back in your prime, you might have wanted to get in the ring with a girl like that? Well, I like that page until she got hurt. The, she the has girl a neck that injury, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I liked her. And uh, they, they've got one girl up there, and I can't think of her name. She's a red-headed girl, got long red hair, and I cannot think of her name to save my soul. Becky Lynch. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like yeah, her. she's she's the current Raw champion, and she's actually main eventing their pay per view. I believe yeah. it's the main event uh, this weekend. Yes, she started yeah, in, like she her. was up in Canada as well. But uh, it's just a shame that some of these girls can't, you know, think well. Heck, to get I don't know why they think they have to get to WWE to be a star because they don't. Well, I think it's kind of everybody's intention now is you want to get to as they call it the E, because yeah. unfortunately, yes, it is looked at as that's the place to be, even though, as I said, there are a lot of women's-only federations. They're in Japan, Mexico, and here in the States that women wrestlers can go to and become stars without having to go to the WWE or Impact or, you know, right. I don't even know if AEW has a women's division at this point in time yet. I don't know if they do or not. Uh, I know... Uh... Jason, one one of the guys that's on the board of directors. Well, I th you saw him. He did the uh, at the Hall of Fame banquet. He had the did the camera work and was filming all the inductions. Uh, they, they went to the him and Johnny went to the uh, Japan. The, the, I can't even think of the name of the company now. The Japan Wrestling that made their big debut out in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. I, I want to just bring in real quickly. You're talking about wrestlers that are uh, kind of doing it on, you know have the lineage, but also have kind of worked and kind of proved themselves. A, a, an act that, that just, a, a wrestler just had a main event on uh, Impact Wrestling against a man uh, is a third generation wrestler that uh, I've been watching for a while since she started training with George South and Cedric Alexander to uh, the, where she's at now with Impact is Tessa Blanchard. Yeah, I saw something the other day on TV about her. Or it wasn't on TV, it was on Facebook they were talking about. They posted something on Facebook about her. And I haven't seen her work, but they say she's really, really good.
Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you got, uh, you know, she's got the Blanchard side, but also her stepdad is uh, Magnum TA, Terry Allen. And again, training yeah. with George South. I mean, George South, a lot of people remember on, on the television on Turner, he was the guy that didn't win a lot of matches, but he was always so solid uh, as an enhancement worker. So she got into right. really good hands to, as far as training. And she has been excelling ever since she, she came out and started working and, and, and working her way up in the, in the wrestling business. And I know Mike would attest to that as well. Well, that's that's great, it, and it's a shame, like like Mike said, that you don't have uh, an area where you've got more girls that that you can send to different different areas, you know, of the country. Like Malaya Hasaka, now she'll she'll go anywhere if if they want to book her, and she's she's a heck of a worker. She comes up here uh, or, or comes down to Minneapolis and uh, works for uh, an yeah. independent company over there with uh, Ed Hellier, uh, Steel Domain Wrestling. Yeah. She's uh, she's always up here a couple of times a year, and she looks in great shape. She still knows how to work the psychology. I mean, she she's had many years in the ring and still looks like she could put a few more in. I think she could. I uh, My last show that I promoted was my last show I promoted in, I think it was August of 1989. That's when I retired, and that was that's when we quit promoting. Uh, we had run a couple of shows. We ran one in Barbados and one in Trinidad, and then I had a big all-women show in Tampa at the Spartan Sports Center. And I had uh, Moolah, uh, Donna Christentello, Bambi, uh, not Bambi, um, my, my brain just goes dead, I'm trying to think of all these girls, but... Um, Let's see, there was Moolah, Candy Devine, Donna Christentello, Misty Blue, two or three, I don't know if you guys remember her, Misty Blue, oh, yeah. Kat, Kat LaRue, and a couple of her of her girls. Linda Dallas. Two or three, yeah, Linda Dallas, and uh, she had one big girl that wrestled as a Russian. What a character she was. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think of who else I had Moolah, and I had a couple of my girls, Robin Lane, and Princess Jasmine and Despina Montegas. I had a big, big show, big show one. We had one heck of a good crowd. So I had all those girls, and that was my last show that I promoted, and that's when I retired in 1989. In fact, when I see you, are you a bit to Hall this year, next year, won't you, Mike? Oh, of course, yes. I'll be there the whole weekend uh, uh, next I'll, year. I'll, I'll, when I'll, I will probably be doing you, another live show. You, I'll bring you a copy of the... Uh, of the program of that last show that I promoted. All right. Well, it looks like the it clock on the wall. Great. Well, it looks like the clock on the wall is getting close to uh, the time limit. We went a Broadway uh, boy, and it seems like we could have <laughs> we, we could have went ninety minutes the way we were going here, uh, Beverly. There you go. <laughs> we could talk the arm off a chair, couldn't we? I think we could. We could take the whole furniture set <laughs> off, man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, it's well, such. I have enjoyed. I have enjoyed every bit of it, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, we appreciate that you have taken some time out to, to chat with us. And you know what? I mentioned it earlier on in the program. The door is always open. I'm going to let Mike. Mike's kind of like the booker, man. He'll 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 set something up sometime down the line, and we could get into some more wrestling stories uh, from this from your okay, career, 60s, great. 50s, late 50s, 60s, 70s. You can uh, even have a few picked out that you want to share with us. We'll let be as just as laid back as this conversation was. Well, anytime. I'd be more than glad to. All right, uh, Mike, I want to thank you for, uh, again, booking this wonderful talent today and for, of course, being my co-host, my friend. Well, thanks, man. I always enjoy coming on here, and uh, I knew Beverly was going to be a great guest. I always enjoy talking to her. So, like I said, I couldn't share any of the stories that her and Duke were, were, were talking to CAC one year, but, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> on an uncensored episode. I think so. I think that well, would be great. Next time I'll tell you a good one that happened to me in Puerto Rico. You'll like that. 
Ooh, now you've sizzled up the steak a little bit here. (laughs) Well, it's time for us to go for the hammer, Beverly Shade, and the grizzled veteran, Mike McCurdy. I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories Then and Now.